Well, thanks for coming out tonight, guys. Uh, sometimes I'm not sure, you know, what I'm doing. You know, it, it's, uh, I mean, I know I'm following the Lord, but it's, uh, well, it's an honor and uh, I would say a challenge as well to, to do this because I just learned this stuff, you know, and, uh, but I think it's great and I think it's something worth um, sharing with you guys as well. And, uh, and if any, and most of you guys look like joint air type people. So I'll say that, uh, you guys, a lot of you were in joint airs when I, uh, did like a, a you know, uh, we went through the difference between, uh, biblical counseling and psychology. And, uh, so this is going to be a little different, although some of it will be, uh, the same. So uh, so what I wanted to start out with is just a review, and uh, see how this works here. Okay, so uh, we're going to review from the last time, not necessarily from joint heirs, but uh, we did a teaching here in October, and uh, so we talked about a few things, and it was all in relation to uh, biblical counseling and psychology, and we talked about the historical and foundational uh, differences between the two. And um, there were three things that, uh, well, first of all, the definition of psychology, uh, the scientific study of mind and behavior, the mind refers to the private inner experience of perceptions, thoughts, memories, and feelings. Behavior refers to the observable actions of human beings and non-human animals. And that's, that's a straight textbook explanation of what psychology is and probably one you'd find without much difference, of, you know, depending on who's doing the defining. Uh, but John Frame, and how many guys have heard of John Frame before? Okay, a couple of you. Good. So John Frame is a, a theologian, and in his book, A History of Western Philosophy and Theology, he writes, uh, the Enlightenment was a period in history, roughly 1650 to 1800 AD, in which mainstream philosophy radically rejected the worldview of the Bible and embraced the autonomy of the human mind. Now, when we talk about autonomy of the human mind, what are we, what are we saying? Okay. Yeah, basically it means all reasoning comes from within me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the one, you know. Um, and then we talked about three differences. The first was the mind versus the heart. And the secular view of the mind is uh, today's psychologists know, keyword know, that all our subjective experiences arise from the electrical and chemical activity of our brains. Uh, I don't, that was written in 2014. They probably haven't read Tom Insel's book. And do, do any of you guys know who Thomas Insel is? He was the director of the National Institute of Mental Health. I think he has a different opinion on that nowadays because I think it's something that's changed. Um, but the Bible tells us that the heart 
And it's recorded in numerous references uh, that the thoughts of man come from the heart. And, you know, one of the more familiar ones, uh, probably Luke, or I'm sorry, Mark 7.21. If somebody wants to read that, Mark 7.21, we'll see what... So tonight is going to be me teaching and asking a lot of questions. Go ahead, Cha. Okay. And that was Jesus talking about uh, the heart. Um, the heart in the Hebrew is lab or lebeb. Uh, and the Greek cardia, and they, when you look at them in context, they refer to the center or innermost part of a person, which includes the thoughts, motives, intentions, the will, and the intellect. So right away you see both systems are talking about thoughts, perceptions, you know, the things that come out of the mind. But what's the difference, if anybody caught it there? The difference is that secular psychology says it comes from the chemistry in our brain, all right? It comes, it's, because overall, uh, secular psychology, and I'm not talking about everybody that practices psychology here. I'm talking about, you know, the, the standard, this is what psychology is, uh, belief system is that, um, there's no soul. It's just the mind. It's a machine, all right? And so they have to come up with an explanation of where thoughts, why do you have nightmares, you know, all this kind of stuff. Why do you act the way you do? You know, why is your behavior the way it is? And so they say it's the chemistry in the brain, uh, but the Bible says that it comes from the heart of man, mankind, that is, humanity. Sorry, one thing you'll find out about me is, yes, I grew up in an age where we use man. <laughs> I know that's a different thing for today. You know, that's, uh, I, try, I try to do better at it. All right. Uh, oh, and speaking of man, let's see, I think I need, okay. So psychology, uh, and so this is men and women, by the way. Uh, whether we are talking about Rogers, uh, and Maslow's self-actualization. You guys have probably seen this, this uh, triangle design. I don't have a picture of it. Uh, with the needs, right? Hierarchy of needs, yeah. From, uh, that's Mav's, Maslow's um, self-actualization. Freud's inner child or the behaviorist blank slate. With psychology, it all boils down to either man is good Man is an animal and or a product of their environment. Man is seen from a materialistic worldview, meaning they have no soul. And man is not accountable or guilty. Rather, their behavior is the result of their environment. Sorry, I'm turning around. A lot of this I don't have in my notes. Uh, I, I was thinking in my mind I'd have my computer here. And I got here and Kurt's like, did you bring your computer? I'm like, 
No, I didn't bring my computer. Uh, but at least I brought my notes. All right? That happened to me one time. I, got, I went to jail and I opened up my Bible and I didn't have my notes. You know, that's uh, interesting. The what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Is that what you said, your greatest fear? <laughs> That's good. Uh, all right, I must have missed something here. Because I know that, uh, okay, no, I'm going the wrong way. All right, so the biblical view of man, and you guys know this, a lot of you guys do. Uh, God created us. We are created in the image of God, Genesis 126 through 27, God breathed life into man, and man became a living soul, uh, Genesis 2-7. Man falls into sin, Genesis 3-8. Sin and death are brought unto all mankind, and that's, that didn't happen in Romans, but Romans records it, and then uh, it results in no person being good. And so that's a difference, is psychology looks at Humanity, men and women, as being good, intrinsically. Uh, whereas the Bible teaches us and informs us that man is not good, that man has fallen into sin. Okay. The goal of psychology, so the purpose of psychology or psychotherapy is to help a person identify and change troubling emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. That's from the National Institute of Mental Health. A lot of this stuff I'm sharing, uh, nobody would argue with. Uh, Okay, well then I go too far. All right. All right, the goal of biblical counseling is biblical sanctification. And so... So that's, those are the main differences. We talked about them last time. Now I do have the rest of it right in my notes, so I won't have to turn around on you guys. But, um, when, you know, so we're, we're going into a, a study here, all right? It's going to be more than just tonight. And we're calling it Biblical Counseling 101. Um, so I'm just going to throw out some initial thoughts as we begin. Uh, when we look at counseling... Uh, we're looking at people that are hurting and that need help, all right? Or both, and their problems are real, all right? So if you, ever, if you don't believe that, go downtown sometime to Dorothy Day, you know, and you can talk with people. They're, they have some real problems down there, all right? Um, people in church have real problems, Uh People, the second thing is people that study psychology and psychiatry and go into the field generally want to help people that are hurting, all right? That's important to know because, you know, it's not like, you know, our tendency sometimes is to uh, get into camps, you know, this camp versus that camp. The problem is, yeah, on the very extreme end of psychology, they have no 
they don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe man has a soul. There's all kinds of things we would have an issue with. But like most things I find in life, there's an array. And so you might have somebody that really has followed God all their life, and they've gotten into psychology, and they've pursued it as a field, and they're desiring to help people, all right? So my point is just simply to help you guys understand that generally people that are in this field want to help people that are hurting, okay? Um, The third thing is mankind's problems are either physical physical slash spiritual or spiritual. So when I say that, and I'll take an example like fear, okay? Would you say fear is a spiritual problem or a physical problem? I'm not going to downgrade any of you guys for giving me a wrong answer. It's a it's a physical Okay, yeah. So if, if somebody has a panic attack, let's say, all right, and, and you could read this in secular writings as well, the problem is in the mind, okay? But the reality is that sometimes the mind triggers the body to act. So the reason why, or when somebody is having a panic attack, generally the symptoms are physical, it's the cause is, um, is spiritual, all right? So sometimes there are, you know, uh, problems that have both, all right? But I mean, I would say overall, somebody with fear, it's a, it's a spiritual issue. Because if they didn't allow, you know, if they didn't have the problem, they wouldn't have the physical problem. And I mean... That's, again, you know, the secular world teaches that, I mean, of course, they'll give you drugs, um, but that this is, it comes out of the mind, you know, and if people would just learn to think right, and a lot of times they use what's called cognitive behavioral therapy to fix somebody like that, all right? Uh, What about uh, hallucinations, hallucinations. Somebody has schizophrenia or um, what's another one? Schizophrenia is probably one, but uh, so hallucinations, would that be a spiritual? I mean, are they demonically possessed? It's it's more physical. Hallucinations are definitely a physical manifestation. Um, But it it goes to show you the, the challenge that exists when you're trying to help somebody, all right? Um, and speaking of medication, now I read the bulletin, all right? I don't normally read the bulletin. I won't say that. I didn't say that. I do read the bulletin. <laughs> no, I do read the bulletin. I don't always read the bulletin. I didn't read it today, but I... Uh, <laughs> I didn't read it, but I got a wife that's great at reading it to me. And that's what happened exactly. And, uh, but somebody wrote something in there about medication. 
I am not going to talk to you guys about medication. Other than, other than true biblical counseling, I, I almost feel like I have to make a statement on this, all right? But true biblical counseling is not anti-medication. In fact, ABC, ACBC, which is a counseling organization, uh, Christian one, that is, uh, role is not to encourage an individual to take or not to take medication, all right? So when we get into the realm of the physical, where, you know, it might be a brain issue and somebody's taken medication for it, because people that prescribe medication are medical doctors, all right? And as a counselor, you can be a medical doctor, but most are not, and I am not a medical doctor. And I think it would be not only wrong for me, but I think it would wrong, be wrong maybe for even one doctor to tell a patient that is seeing another doctor that taking medication is right or wrong. So uh, that's the goal of biblical counseling is, yes, we will pray for somebody, whether they should take medication, we'll come alongside them to help them try to understand the pluses and minuses of it, uh, but we're not going to give advice on whether they should or shouldn't take medication. So from that, I'll say that um, don't ask me if you should be taking medication or not, because if you are, I'm going to tell you, or if you're questioning, I'm going to tell you, well, have you talked to your doctor lately? Because that's really who you need to talk to. Um, I, you know, you learn a little bit about medication and all that, but it's really, that's the answer, all right? So as we look at how the class is going to be laid out, um, my goal is to teach biblical counseling. Now, there's going to be times where we'll compare to psychology and psychiatry, but the goal, really the ultimate goal of this class is to understand what biblical counseling is so you guys can become biblical counselors, all right? Now, I would say this especially of anybody that's an elder or a pastor or looking to go that route, this would be a great thing to understand and know, all right? Pat, you know, if you're like me, you grow up and you think being a pastor is all about just preaching the word. Steve, is that true? No, exactly. There's a lot involved in it where you're uh, working with people and... Uh, and that's something that uh, pastors do. They help counsel people. Uh, so I have a couple questions for you guys then. Let's see if I can find them. All right. The first one is, why not just leave uh, people's problems to the psychologists and the psychiatrists? Why don't we just leave it to them? You know? I mean, hey, if you break your leg... I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to send you to urgent care or something, right? So why would we not, why would we not just send people to? Incidentally, a lot of churches do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I have down, I had to turn around and read it, because in my 
I, originally, when I made the question, I put, why not just advocate our roles as a church to leave the problems of the souls of men and women to psychologists? Because that's what it would be doing. It would be abdicating our role as a church and as the pastors and elders of a church would be to send somebody down the road, all right? Now, again, yes, if somebody has a medical problem, like, you know, going back to the medical uh, uh, slash spiritual, what about somebody with Alzheimer's? Okay, for a long time, people just thought uh, an Alzheimer patient was a little loopy maybe. But in reality, what has been found, it is indeed uh, a physical de- deterioration of the brain, all right? And there is medication and there is medical help for people with Alzheimer's. Now, that doesn't mean you don't counsel somebody that has Alzheimer's, all right? Or that you don't counsel their spouses or other family members. That's where biblical counseling comes in is, how do you deal with somebody now that if you don't chain them to the bed, they walk out the door at night? You know, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, we had that happen to us. We, uh, Jody's aunt was tired of watching mom, so we got her for two or three days, and lo and behold, three in the morning, I'm sound asleep, and I get a call from the White Bear Lake Police Department uh, do you know so-and-so? <laughs> she walked out the door in her pajamas in the middle of winter down the road and, you know, ended up at somebody's house. I had to go out and find her. Um, so, I mean, counseling, you can counsel, like, how do you deal with that? I mean, living with somebody like that is a real challenge, all right? Um, and so that's what biblical counseling is for, but the actual uh Treating the Alzheimer's is a, is a medical doctor issue. Okay. So what is counseling then? Oh, sorry. That postpartum depression. That's a, I mean, that's a good one. And that's, what's that? No, I mean, if they're a doctor, you know, I mean... Sometimes, yeah, the body chemistry does, you know, affect us. And I mean, when you're talking about postpartum depression, you're talking about that word we don't like to talk about a lot, hormones, all right? And hormones is, a change in hormones is a physical issue, all right? So um, without going into all the details, uh, and we can talk about it later, but uh, yeah, in a case like that, if, you know, the doctor, a medical doctor determined that medication would be best, it would just be my role would be to pray with them. Is this something you want to do, you know? You know, and that's probably the best way to handle it from a biblical counseling role. Uh, Sometimes medication like that is helpful. You know, I mean, if somebody is ready to go off the edge, you know, I mean, okay, so taking a little medication to keep them from jumping off a building might be helpful. I'm not, but I'm not going to really talk about it that much. Yeah. When I studied biblical counseling in seminary, they, they warned us about not telling somebody that your counseling was not taking drugs or whatever to help level their needs out. Don't come to 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. And I have friends. <laughs> Seriously, I have friends that have been on medication for decades and uh, that are uh, probably no better off now than they were decades ago. Um, but good question. But you would still want to counsel somebody like that because that is both a spiritual problem first and a potentially a medical problem second, all right? Um, second question, what is counseling? When you talk about counseling, what is counseling? And I'm just talking overall general, not biblical counseling, but what is, what is counseling? See if I can do this right. All right. So Heath Lambert, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a uh, the pastor at Jacksonville uh, Baptist Church, I believe, down in Florida. It's probably a church of about five thousand, but I also believe he was a uh, uh, director or something of the ACBC for a while. I'm not sure on that, but he wrote a book. He's wrote written a number of books, but. In his book, A Theology of Biblical Counseling, he says, Counseling is a conversation where one party, with questions, problems, and trouble, seeks assistance from someone they believe has answers, solutions, and help. All right? So I'll say that again. Counseling is a conversation where one party, with questions, problems, and trouble, seeks assistance from someone they believe has answers, solutions, and help. All right. So that's what counseling is. That's, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good. Actually, I I do have a I have Stuart Scott's answer to that, so we'll see how it compares to yours, Pastor. I but I appreciate it. I like yours. Um, all right. Well, but before we go there, one thing I want to say is, so if that was the case, do you have to be a certified counselor to counsel? Yes. No. No. Nope, and you don't. Now, if you ask, if somebody gives you advice, but you didn't ask for it, and you really don't really maybe think they have the ability to tell you, <laughs> that's not counseling. That is just somebody giving you their opinion or advice, right? Um, but within the context of the church, if you've had a problem with something, and you're not a counselor, but let's say that You've had a problem with anxiety in your life, and you've overcome it. Let's say you used to have panic attacks, and you, over, and you overcame that. Uh, 
And there's, and let's say somebody in the congregation now has that problem, it would almost make sense for them to come to you, I mean, assuming and hoping that you would give them biblical advice. Um, But when you think about it, when people come to you for advice, do you give them biblical advice? And I mean, I only say that to think about it, because when you're given somebody when somebody comes and asks you for help, what do you tell them? Now, let's look at Romans 15:14, and if somebody would uh, turn there and read that. Okay. Uh, Thanks for doing that. Uh, And some versions do say instruct one another. But the key word there is, uh, for our purposes tonight, is that word admonish or instruct. Because when the Bible talks about instruction, it doesn't always use this word. This word is, um, if I can say it right, nathetio, and it means to instruct to teach on proper behavior and belief, to admonish, to rebuke for a a wrong done, uh, and to warn. And a lot of times when the Bible interprets that word, or when it's interpreted from the Greek to the English, a lot of translators translate it as warn. Um, So when we look at that, two things. One... um, it shows us what biblical counseling is about because uh, I, have any of you guys ever heard of nuthetic counseling or nalthetic counseling? Any guys? Yep. Uh, so that was the, um, I guess, the counseling that was started by Jay Adams, who I would consider like the father of biblical counseling. I'll rephrase that, the father of modern biblical counseling. Um, Because biblical counseling, if you remember, has gone on for a very long time, uh, like since the beginning of time. And uh, um, But here, I just pulled this off their website. While the name is new, the sort of counseling done by nothetic counselors is not from biblical times onward, God, God's people have counseled nuthetically. The word itself is biblical. It comes from the Greek noun nuthesia. The verb is nuthetio. The word used in the New Testament primarily by the Apostle Paul is translated admonish, correct, or instruct. The term which probably best describes biblical counseling occurs, occurs in such passages as Romans 15, 14. But the second thing I want to point out is in that verse, who is Paul talking to? When he's ta- I mean, is he just talking to the pastors there? Or is he talking to all Christians? He's talking to the church. He's talking to all Christians. And so if there's any one takeaway for tonight... This is a good one to take away, is that 
God, if you're a born-again Christian, and hopefully in your Bible, God has given you the ability to counsel others, all right? And, you know, you're able to instruct, but I'll say this, that, and as we get into then biblical counseling, how do you do it? Then it becomes important to understand what am I telling people that are coming to me asking for help, all right? Uh, It becomes important because do I want to tell them what I think, which on some days might be a real bad deal. You can ask some people. I've, I've, uh, I've said some wrong things in my life, all right? Or do I tell people what God's Word says, all right? Um, well, now we'll look at uh, Stuart Scott's definition of biblical counseling. Whoops, what did I do, Kurt? All right. Nope, we got ahead of the game there. Okay, here it is. So, uh, Stuart Scott's definition, this came from our, my class notes. Uh, Biblical counseling is ministering the Word of God to believers with humility, compassion, and accountability to bring about abiding hope, change, and usefulness for the glory of God. All right? So I'll read that again. Biblical counseling is ministering the Word of God to believers with humility, compassion, and accountability to bring about abiding hope, change, and usefulness for the glory of God. And that would, I say, does, in, in a sense, encapsulate what biblical counseling is. Is, I'm not coming to you with what I think or my experience. I'm coming to you with what does God's Word say to your situation. Um, and... I'm also, you know, in like, like Galatians 6.1 says, if anyone is caught in a sin, let you who are spiritual res- restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Um, with humility, we want to help other people, and with compassion as well. Um, you know, if you're an impatient person, you can probably get the point across but that's not the way that, well, first of all, that's not love, right? First Corinthians 13 tells us that love is patient. And the Bible tells us that we're to speak the truth in love. And so when we, when we come across other people, we have to take two things in mind. Am I being loving? Am I, and am I being humble? Because it's only by God's grace that I can do what I do. You know, I, you know, the Bible tells us that every gift that we have has come from God. And so uh, if I had the gift of writing a song, whether I'm, uh, whether I'm a believer or not a believer, you know, that ability comes from God. And, you know, same with singing in the church, teaching in the church, uh, having mercy in the church, all those gifts come from God. All right. Uh, well, so then if we know then that biblical counseling is about ministering God's word 
then understanding theology becomes the priority. And in reality, uh, ACBC, okay, so ACBC is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. So you have to go through a process, and we're going to talk about that process, by the way, here, because, you know, my goal and hope is that some of you guys will pursue this, all right? Now, if there was a most expensive way, if there was a a most demanding way, I took that. Don't ask me why, but I did. And it, it's a lot of work. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was some change, you know. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, if you went the ACBC route, what, what's laid out on their website, it would be a lot cheaper and a lot less time-consuming, all right? That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, all right? Because you've got to take the same exam I did. All right, so the exam itself, and this is why I guess I want you guys to understand how important theology is in this. And I'll also say that I think we're very uh, graced by God to have a church that teaches things like the attributes of God, things like theology and all that stuff that we do, because as we find out when we're trying to help people that Theology is a very, very important part of it. Helping people to understand not just what God's Word says in a certain passage, but what does that mean? Because theologically, I mean, when people come to you and say, I have anxiety, all right, what would you say is there one of the things they really need to understand about what God's Word says? If they have a lot of anxiety, the sovereignty of God, yeah, exactly, and the sovereign and I mean you know that's a a word we can say, and it probably wouldn't go over well with your counseling right right in the very beginning, but if you take them to verses that show like how God is sovereign, how like you know well, Daniel, he was in the lion's den. That'd be a tough one, you know. If there'd be a chance, a thought of being afraid, that would probably be a good one. And yet, God miraculously helped him through it. Um, And it didn't really seem like uh, Daniel was sweating bullets from the account. I mean, he trusted in God, all right? Theology is real important. So ACBC... They have an exam. It's uh, 44 questions. How many of them do you think are theological questions? All the questions have to be answered in about a page and a half, just in case you're thinking. You can do it, all right? I believe you can do it. I did it, all right? Uh, Hey, the last time I went to school before this, I used a typewriter, all right? I'm just (laughs) telling you guys. Um, How many questions do you think out of those 44 are theological? And the other, the others are counseling questions, by the way. How many? Seventy. Okay, twenty-four of the forty-four are theological questions. All right. So they want to make sure. And I'll just have to say, I know you guys love John Street. He told me, told our whole class that is, our goal here is to make you better than your pastor. <laughs> 
That ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. But the point is that theology is really important, and we need to understand it, especially if we're going to counsel other people. Um, okay, so knowing that, then what I'm going to do for starters is I'm just going to and there's a lot of theological topics. We might not hit on them all, but I think there's some main ones that we have to look at. And the first one is the... Uh, all right, so the first one is... just have to see where I am here. Okay, so uh, this is a definition. I pulled this one out of uh, John MacArthur's systematic... Biblical doctrine, um, Christian theology. So when we talk about theology, I always thought theology was the study of God or religious faith, and it, it is, but more specifically, Christian theology is the study of the divine revelation in the Bible. It has God as its perpetual centerpiece, God's word as its source, and godliness as its aim. So as we look to at the Word of God, we find out who God is, his attributes, his desires, his plans, as well as what he expects of us. And so uh, this is important for, uh, for we must let the Bible inform us on how we are, go- are to go about things in any so- situation. Uh, when we look at theology, there are many topics we can look at tackling. Uh, so... My point is that we're not going to hit on them all, but if this is important to you, which if you're looking to go into counseling, this is one of the books I would suggest. It's A Theology of Biblical Counseling by Heath Lambert. And so uh, we're not going to go through it all tonight. Uh, I do have the references, um, but uh, we are going to touch on one tonight. And if I can get this thing to cooperate... Oops, tonight. It's Heath Lambert. Yep, and it's a theology of biblical counseling. Okay. I went forward too many here. Kurt, I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. It's probably going to go back a, a few. All right, there we go. Yeah. Okay, so having a Godward focus. So God is the first... Uh, theological uh, topic we want to look at. But specifically, it's having a Godward focus. All right? And when we talk about having a Godward focus, we're talking about one keeping God at the center. And so we got a couple verses there to look at. So somebody take Isaiah 42 5, somebody take uh, Isaiah 42 8. Um, somebody acts seventeen twenty four to thirty, and we'll just hold off on the last one. Somebody, I guess somebody can uh, look at First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one. But I want to talk about those first three first. So Isaiah forty two five and eight, and then Acts seventeen uh, twenty four to thirty. Go ahead.
Okay. How about Acts 17, 24 through 30? Who wants to read that? Okay, thanks for reading all those. Um, so as we look at these verses, what do they teach us about God? And I know there's a lot there, but what are some of the, what are some of the simple or obvious things that it teaches us about God? He's, somebody said, so, okay, he's self-sufficient. Yeah, exactly. What else? There's the idea of him being a jealous God, which is just that he desires his own glory. Okay. And that's in both passages, by the way, in both, well, in the Isaiah passage in verse 8, and also in uh, the Acts passage as well, yeah. Talking about false worship there, all right? And... Just for, uh, I guess, time, I'll say he's the creator, and we're dependent on him. And you brought up that he's self-sufficient. We're not self-sufficient. We need him. He doesn't need us. All right? But what do you think is one of the biggest problems when it comes to us type of people? As humans, what is our big problem? We're manward focused. And instead of exalting God, we like to exalt ourselves. Um, And uh, here's a quote by A.H. Strong. um, Because when we look at people coming in for counseling, generally, sin is involved. Now, not always. Sometimes it is suffering, all right? But, you know, like if somebody dies or if, you know, there's some type of abuse or something like that, uh, yeah, the suffering is involved. But many times it's somebody's own sin that's involved. Um, So here's a quote from A.H. Strong. Sin, therefore, is not merely a negative thing or an absence of love to God, It is a fundamental and positive choice or preference of self instead of God as the object of affection and the supreme end of being. Instead of making God the center of his life, 
surrendering himself unconditionally to God and possessing himself only in subordination to God's will, the sinner makes himself the center of his life, sets himself directly against God, and constitutes his own interest, the supreme motive, and his own will, the supreme rule. So, uh, you know, when we look at a Godward focus, we not only want to have a Godward focus ourselves, but the goal of biblical counseling is to instill a Godward focus in our counselees. All right? Um, and it, it's encapsulated in, and who has 1 Corinthians 10.31? Go ahead. Okay, so our desire as Christians then should be to do everything to the glory of God. And not only should it be our desire and our goal, uh, it should be something that we should help our counselees with, is how do we get them focused off themselves and onto God? So, all right, well, let's see. I got a couple more things here. We'll see if we can get through them. Uh, the second thing I want to look at is, um, let's turn to Jonah 2. You guys know the story of Jonah, I'm assuming, but we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2 real quick. Oops. Okay, and, and this is the destructive nature of exalting ourselves, all right? Uh, and for sake of time, let's, well, I'll have somebody read uh, chapter 2, 1 through 9. Somebody would do that. So go ahead. Okay, thanks for reading that. And verse 8 is very interesting because it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And I'm, I'm going to read what MacArthur says about this because it's kind of interesting. Lying vanities is the title, empty self-serving lies. Jonah obeyed a lie. That lie was a twofold lie. He believed that his desire for the destruction of Nineveh was more worthy 
and Yahweh's desire for the repentance of that city. And two, he believed he could actually flee from the presence of Yahweh. It is difficult to accept that Jonah actually believed that lie. He was, after all, a true prophet of Yahweh. All right? And it drops down. The horrifying spiritual reality of Jonah's experience is this. The power of a lie is not intrinsic in its inherent credibility, but in its attractiveness. The pivotal moral issue is not whether people will believe the lie, but whether they will obey it. The father of lies learned in the garden that a lie of almost infinite implausibility, in the day that you eat, you shall be as gods, that was from Genesis 3.5, will seduce if it is sufficiently tantalizing, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, to be desired to make one wise. In short, a lie is a powerful, a lie is powerful not because it is deceptive, but because it is delicious. To make the same point from a different perspective, a lie is effective only because of our selfish predisposition. Because as fallen creatures, we are so bent upon pandering to our own desires that we will render ourselves so spiritually foolish as to obey a lie when we would never consciously affirm it. And so that's, that's very interesting. Uh, incidentally, that comes out of the book, Counseling How to Counsel Biblically, which I'm going to, I got a list of three books that I'm going to be using through this class, and so I'll give you the list of them. Uh, but that is interesting when you look at it, is that how many times, when, and when you think about it, when you sin, do you know it's wrong, and you could probably quote the Bible verses, And it's not because you don't, and this is exactly what he's saying, it's not because you don't believe the Bible, it's not because you don't believe God, but it's because the desire of it is so much more attractive that you you yield to it, you obey it. And, uh, but that's key to understand as you're counseling people. The last, I'm just going to leave you with the verses, and that's... uh, you know, when we're looking at a Godward focus, um, I'm guessing it'll eventually come up, but it did every other time. Uh, but is the cost of discipleship, meaning uh, that there is a, a paradox that is in the Bible. I mean, there's a number of them, but this one that I'm thinking about is the fact that if any man will save his life, he will lose it. And um, I'll give you the references. Uh, The first is Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Again, that's Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Uh, The second one is Mark 8, 34 through 35. Again, Mark 8, 34 through 35. And then the last one is Luke 923 to 24. So Luke 9:23 to 24. Um, and so yeah, the last thing I wanted to do is give you the list of resources here. And the first one is counseling, how to counsel biblically. Um, 
And if you want these, I can send them to you by email as well, if you give me your email address. Uh, the second one is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. Uh, you can guess by the title, it's talking about how do, as a Christian, you help other Christians. Um, and the last one, of course, was uh, theolo- Theology of Biblical Counseling and uh, the Doctrinal Foundations of Counseling Ministry. So with that, I am done. And uh, any questions? And if it's a deep entailed question, I might have to get back to you. But uh, And we might talk about it too, but... That would not be biblically correct, all right? And that's, yeah. Um, you could talk to your pastor or one of your elders. You know, just tell them what your issue is that you're dealing with, and they would be able to direct you, uh, which, incidentally, that would be biblical counseling. But, you know, it's... Uh, uh, but... Um, no, I don't mean to make light of it. It's, but that's what it's about. It's, it's, you know, the Bible tells us that we should be uh, confessing our sins to one another. Obviously, you've got to be careful in that. Um, you know, you don't want to confess your sins to somebody who has the sin of gossip, right? Um, but, you know, that's why you go to the pastor or elders and, uh, or a really good friend that is a, a really solid Christian um, and just ask them, you know, and if it is something, you know, uh, that would be, that would warrant like sitting down and going through counseling, uh, then that would be the start of it. That answers your question. Yeah, I wouldn't really, you know, again, if you look at the definition of counseling, it's somebody seeking advice from somebody that they believe can help them, really, in essence, is what it is. You know, our our conversation should always be edifying and uplifting and godly, you know, Um, so... Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if I understand what you're saying, then if if I'm if somebody comes to me for advice and I just you know give them something that, and I mean, let's face it, I mean sometimes there are you know like um, common sense things that don't go against the Bible, like, should I change the oil on my car because I've got 15,000 miles since my last oil change, all right? Uh, That would be, I mean, common sense. Go get your oil changed, you know? Um, That's a pretty simple example. Um, But if it's something that relates to sin or a belief in who God is or something like that, you know, your response to people should be biblical. You know, what does the Bible say about that issue? Yeah. 
so then that gets more into the, you know, I mean, the area of um, uh, giving advice. But maybe, you know, what you're talking about is like, if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. Yep. And, uh, you know, that would be more in line with that. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good one because I guess the first thing you want to know is are they saved, right? Um, biblical counseling isn't going to work well with somebody that's not saved. Um, I'm not saying it wouldn't work, but the whole premise of, of uh, biblical counseling is that they're saved and they're that God is their Lord and um, that what He tells us in Scripture is in Scripture. And that we heed that advice because he's our Lord and Master. Um, you know, in a case like that, you'd probably just want to enter into their life and talk with them, you know, um, and, you know, try to help how you can. And uh, that's something, I mean, maybe we could even talk about more later. I mean, that's a, you know, there's a lot of different nuances to that. So, but it's a good question. Good question. Well, I'll close in prayer. And I mean, if anybody has questions, we can talk afterwards as well. So, uh, Father in heaven, I just thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the men that have gone before um, that have laid out a lot of the groundwork for this. Um, Father, I thank you for your word and all that you do and provide for us as a church, and I thank you for the church. Um, Father, I just pray that you would uh, go with each of us tonight um, and that, Lord, that you would help us all to uh, look to your word with more um, desire, more uh, more um, searching, and uh, and I just pray for your grace as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.